So I get the topic headship and submission, God creating them man and female. Uh, this is going to be an offense to everybody on every spectrum. Uh, where we find ourselves as a culture is interesting. Uh, scripture is always timely because it's timeless. Right, So you have the extreme feminists who would be so offended by everything that we're about to say. You have extreme patriarchs who would be, uh, and, and male chauvinists who would be so offended uh, by what we have today. You have these groups who have been broken, broken by the abuse of headship gone wrong. You have groups who are broken. By submission gone wrong. And as we press into these truths, knowing the offenses that are probably going to come, a few things are at risk. And and I wanted to say this out the gate. One, the Word of God has authority. right? And we hold that authoritatively. And we can trust it. And we can trust God in His plan because we know that God is what? He's good. And his plan, therefore, is good. And we know that the fall is real. And the impact of that has been felt not just on people, but even the cosmos itself. And so the far-reaching implications of everything that we go through today, uh, I think, has has a huge, huge bearing on and pulse on where we are as a church. And I mean that big C. Uh, Not just like Mount Carmel, but like the bigger church. Will we fold to cultural norms or will we hold true to what Scripture says? And will we genuinely press into it so that it does convict us, it does rebuke us where we fall short here? Uh, and then it does encourage us and train us in righteousness uh, for good. And so all of that is going to the glory of the king, right? And so as we get into this, like we hold Second Timothy 3, 16, like all scripture, how much? All of it is God-breathed, right? It's breathed out and profitable for us, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, training, and righteousness, so that we can be equipped and complete for every good work. And so even even topics like this that, that may seem to clash with what our culture would say often clashes with what the church is living out on a real basis, Right, because all of us have seen kind of the male patriarchy go wrong, right? Failing as leaders, uh, all of us have seen uh, from from a feminist perspective that go wrong, uh, and that brokenness. That all of those things enter into this conversation. Um, like one thing that I wanted to put out first and foremost is that Jesus Christ is our model for headship. Jesus Christ is our model for submission. And so, like, as we're looking, uh, even amidst a culture that doesn't hold to what we're going to hold, like a complementarian view that that man created male and female, right? Like, in his image, for his glory, and that was very good, uh, that we are equal, but that we are distinct in role. Uh, We see that out the gate, even in the Godhead. Like the Godhead itself is like a model in a sense of this, this God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit being equal, absolutely equal in essence. 
but distinct in role, right? Like the father sends the son to accomplish the salvation that the Holy Spirit applies. And so though they are equal in essence, they are distinct in roles. No differently when we look at uh, Genesis as image bears, we hold as a church because scripture holds as God's word that we as image bears have equality in value. Like, li- listen to the words of scripture. right? So in Genesis 1, 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man, us is a fun word there, uh, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heaven, the livestock over all the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on earth. So God created man. In his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. So we see out the gate in the scriptures. Right? That God has put forward that he has created male and female in his image. In his likeness. Right? And so that's a truth that we hold dear. Yet he... And this runs against a lot of what our culture is going to, with all the gender confusion and everything that we see that maybe no generation has really faced like we faced. Nothing new under the sun, but like I think it's safe to say that Martin Luther and those guys, Athanasius is not having to deal with some of the things that we're having to deal with. And he says male and female, that he creates them. And that's a period. And that's what we hold to be true. In Genesis 1.31, he says that that was very good. Right? And then in Genesis 2.18, the Lord God says... So he, he steps back in chapter 2, right? And what's going on is he's giving now a detailed account of what it was like when he made man. Right? When he made mankind. So in chapter 1, he zooms, uh, you kind of get like an overarching view, a, a macro view, and then he zooms in in chapter 2 uh, and, lo- and shows us what that looked like on a ground level. Uh, and in 2.18, he says, uh, Lord God said this, It is not good that the man should be alone. So whenever he was making them in chapter 1, like there was some part of God that says, It's not good. It's not good that man be alone. Right? So... I will make a helper who is fit for him. How beautiful is that? Like he saw that before Adam ever saw that. Like he knew intimately the creation that he had made very good. We see in Galatians 3, 24 through 29. says, so then the law was our guardian until Christ came in. In order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come. We no longer are under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. Neither male nor female. Or you are all one unified in Christ Jesus. And you are Christ. Then you are Abraham's offspring heirs according to the promise. It doesn't mean that you're not distinct. 
What that tells us is that in the name of Jesus Christ, you have equal value. All day long. You have equal worth before the king of kings. As a daughter of the king, man should fear any abuse of headship done to that woman who was created in his likeness. Right? And what we've seen historically is that there has been an abuse on one side far greater than the other. That does not mean it's not coming, though. Because even out the gate in Genesis, sin distorts this view of headship and submission. Like God tells Eve, like there's going to be enmity. Enmity between you and your husband. Right? And he's going to rule over you. And we've seen the effects of misplaced rule and impure headship. We've seen the repercussions of women rebelling against that headship and sinful nature for the creation, since the creation of time. And so we want to press into some of those things. Those are super important, right? As we look in that, what we've seen is that God has created male and female. Male and who? Female. There's a third option there. Right? Male and female in his image, in his likeness, for his glory, in his goodness, in his mercy, making them equal in value, but distinct in role. So we each have a role to play. And over the course of church history, which I guess you're going to hit at some point next week, when you're back up here, Lando, that that is played out in all kinds of funky ways across history. And in homes, across cultures, that has been abused and misused, but it can be made into something so sweet and so good when we approach the Word as learners and it cuts away those parts of us, right? For me as a male, um, cuts away those parts of us that want to be Brutal or overruling or domineering to the point that it presses someone down into mental or physical or emotional or spiritual abuse. Scripture cuts those parts away and makes it something beautiful so that our marriages are models of Christ in the church, which we're going to see in Ephesians. Right? As Brittany, my wonderful, beautiful bride approaches the Word of God. It cuts away those parts of her that want to just rebel against that any, any headship that I might have. So that our marriage together, united as one flesh, paints this beautiful picture of the way God intended headship and submission to be. So we'll talk about what it is and what it's not. But across the board, uh, we see, as in, in view of women... Uh, across, and I want to use this not as an not as a defense, but more as thought provoking. Okay, so let, let's look at some of these, right? Like you know, you know, Eve, Esther, instrumental in protecting God's people. Deborah, God uses a judge, right, and a better one than Samson. And it's hard to argue, like, well, that society was just so messed up at the time. I'm not sure that's a great argument to use. She was just better at it. Never see God put a female, though, in a Levitical priesthood position. 
right? And so hold that thought for a minute because that's going to be one of those distinctions that we want to draw. But keeping on with that, Miriam, a prophetess. Hold a prophetess. Acts 2, 16 through 18. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And, and this is at Pentecost, right? Peter's preaching. And the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. All flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. And they shall prophesy. Philippians 4, 2, 3. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of law. So we are, we are forging these relationships as brothers and sisters in Christ, equal in value, distinct in role, together for the gospel, marching forward kingdom orders from the king of kings to build his kingdom for his glory. But it keeps going. Romans 16, verse 1 through 7. He says, I commend to you, to you our sister Phoebe, a servant. The word he uses there is diakonos. And that could be translated in IV as deaconess. Now, I would argue, like out of the 31, 32 times that's used in New Testament, it only translates that deacon like a couple of times. So I don't know if that's like a great argument there uh, at all. So you could, I think the better translation is servant, right? And Paul speaks of himself as a servant. Of the church. Verse 2. That you may welcome her. In the Lord. In a way worthy of the saints. And help her. In whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many. And of myself as well. Great Prissa. This is cool. He gives her a nickname. Her name is Priscilla. And Achilles. He just calls her Prissa. Like they were on those kind of terms. She's going to come back up in a minute. My fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life to whom not only I give thanks but all the churches the Gentiles give thanks as well greet also the church in their house greet my beloved Epatinus I don't even know how to say that name who was the first convert in Christ in Asia greet Mary who has worked hard for you greet Andronicus and Hunia my kinsmen my fellow prisoners They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. So you have in Scripture this idea of male and female made in the image of God for the glory of God marching forward. The kingdom of God, male and female suffering for the sake of the gospel, like marching forward together. Like there is that presence. Acts eighteen twenty six. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, this is Apollos, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So there was a setting to which Apollos was taught by Priscilla and Aquila, and he needed to be receptive to that teaching. Right? That's a separate setting than perhaps a church formal gathering. But that should press you into uncomfort zones 
knowing that verses like that get ignored a lot. I learned so much from my wife in our day-to-day, over-the-dinner-table conversations. This idea that we can't learn from one another is sinful. And it's not biblical. And so, now we're going to keep going. Luke 2, 36 and 37. There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced, so she was an old lady. Having lived with her husband seven years when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. So she was. Acts 21, 8 and 9. On the next day. We departed to came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip, the evangelist. And I'm feeling Philip, who is one of the seven. That's one of the one of those seven. And he stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. They're testifying to the kingdom of God. Okay? So because you're a female doesn't mean that you're not or somehow less called to further the kingdom of God. That's a false statement. You are absolutely called to further the kingdom of God. And you are called to use the giftings that you have been given to further the kingdom of God. Lydia, a slave girl. They're two of the founding members of the Philippian church. Yet, not one time in all of scripture do you see a female take the role of like a priest. Don't see it. Okay, so on the one hand, there's a quote from Tim Keller. Women are clearly partners with men in ministry. Women were ministry leaders. They were active in evangelism, discipleship, education, mercy ministry, offering up their homes to me as a church, as well as praying and prophesying in worship. And it appears from this that there are no ministry gifts or ministries that are forbidden to women and Yet, Paul and other biblical authors draw some distinctions. So, here's the distinctions. Okay, so equal in essence and value before God made in his likeness. But this is where you enter into distinct roles. We're not the same. I'm a man. Kelly's a woman. We have been assigned different tasks within this kingdom. And so as we address these, like, listen to these scriptures. With headship one, which is given to Adam, comes responsibility. I wish we had more men in here to speak to this. It's a shame that we don't. With with this idea of headship. There's a responsibility that we cannot press hard enough into. Ever. Alright, listen to to what happens in the garden. Genesis 3, 8 and 9. Adam and Eve had just sinned. And they started hiding. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. In the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called to who? To the man. He called to the man. And he said, where are you? Because you know where Adam was? He was hiding. 
4,000 plus years later, the same problem exists. Same problem exists. Adam had a responsible role in representing the human race. Like, I know Lena's going to hit on 1 Corinthians today. Later on in that chapter, when you read down to verse 22, as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. He doesn't say, so in, as in Eve all die, and Adam all die. He was held responsible when God came knocking at the door of Adam hiding in his house of bushes, he didn't ask, where's your wife? He said, where are you? We have a responsibility, any man who might listen on this podcast, to lead in a way that is God-honoring and God-glorifying and appreciates the value and the worth of the helper that He made for us. That's beautiful. As much as your culture may trash that, this is a beautiful picture. And when you've seen the other end of the brokenness of this, imagine Eve. Imagine Eve. The second that Adam starts spitting blame at her. Imagine. Imagine Eve, Adam, the second Eve starts blaming him. We see post-fall this breakdown and distortion of how those beautiful roles that were pre-fall come into place. Now, listen to these scriptures. Now, listen to these scriptures. Even though Eve sinned first... Counted sinful because of Adam's sin. You go to, and Adam all died, the first Corinthians, but you could also go to Romans 5. Many died through the one man's trespass. All right. First Peter 3, 1 through 8. We see these distinctive roles now start coming into play. All right. So he says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some don't obey the word, so they may not be believers. They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful, when they see your pure conduct, don't let your adorning be external, braiding of your hair and putting on gold jewelry, wearing the clothing that you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty. Imperishable is a big word. Underline that in your Bible. Of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is so very precious. But this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their husband. Submission in this sense is a beautiful thing. He's calling it an imperishable beauty. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. Showing what? Honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. And he says weaker, that does not mean lesser. Weaker vessel. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. We see more distinction 
Coming from Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 5 where he says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I desire that there in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger, without quarreling. Likewise, that the women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel and modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or gold, or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn. We, we keep going. It says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. This is in a public, formal setting. Rather, she is to remain quiet. But he started with the whole phrase, let the woman learn. You don't check your brains at the door of faith. And you're not a doormat. You are renewed by your, in your mind as much as the male counterpart. Learn. Learn for the glory of God. And there are more scriptures. And so while you have this idea of the state role of med, male headship leading the charge in the church. No differently if a guy breaks into my house. Like, she may be stronger than me. There's a, I mean, she's birthed five babies, man. Like, I've seen the strength in action. Right? And I may be like pansy skinny guy. But if the dude breaks into my house, I'm jumping in front of her. Every time. He may make quick work of me. <laughs> and that's real. But I'm jumping in front because of the passage that's coming here. Right? Let's go to Ephesians 5. There's glory here. And, and we had to cut a lot out just due uh, to time. But um, here in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Um, and and this, is, this is glory. So we've seen the distinction and role and the quality and value and worth. In Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. So much more to be said than what, the, what we're going to be able to say here. But let's... At least end and wrap on this note. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As to the who? As to the Lord. Is that ugly? Is he meaning this demeaning? At all? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, that doesn't mean that you follow them into sin. That doesn't mean that you're a bruised and battered woman and you just take it. Husbands, love your wives. Now, this is the part that I want you to hear. Love your wives How? As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That love, Christ doesn't be his bride, y'all. He don't talk down to his bride. He does not kick, scream, punch 
his bride. And when and it's preaching to the choir, there's two guys in this class right now. It's the other class that needs to be hearing this. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her. You show me one ounce of unbeauty here. Having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word. You lead out with the word. It's like washing us with water so that he might present the church to himself. As Christ sanctified us, right? Present the church to himself in splendor. So I'm to love my wife like Christ loved the church so I can present her to Christ himself in splendor. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh. But he what? He nourishes it. He cherishes it. Just as Christ does the church. Just as who? Does the who? Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man, he points you right back to creation. Pre-fall. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And what I'm saying is that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her Husband, a church that does not respect Christ is not the bride of Christ. A wife that does not respect her husband has allowed the enmity and sin to bring into that marriage all kinds of un, 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 holy things. Any husband that does not love and cherish and nourish his wife is not living out the idea of headship that God has called us to. You die to yourself. You lead and love your family, men. You create, you cultivate an environment where your wife excels in her giftings. And your children excel into what they've been called to. You die to yourself to make it happen. Right? And as I'm dying to myself to, to, to unleash Brittany's spiritual gifts on the world so the kingdom of God is furthered and I'm trying to do everything in my power to nourish and to cherish her, right? And, and hold her up in value and honor her. Proverbs 31, right? Like as I'm doing that, she's respecting me and trusting my leadership. And trusting that leadership to the ends of the earth. And when sin enters the picture, it distorts all those things. So you can't allow the distortions of sin to let you stray from the distinctions of Scripture. So this picture that he paints of Christ and the church is a picture that we can all look and find it pointing us, whether you're in the role of headship or submission, to Jesus Christ, who is the picture of headship, leading as a lion and a lamb. 
Right? Like he's the lion and the lamb. And for those of you who are in the camp of submission, we find our model in Christ who lays his life down for his bride. Right? Who who comes in and, and says, not my will, Father, but yours. Because he trusts the Father. And so we find our role filled out only when we see and taste the beauty of the gospel and the mystery that was behind Genesis 1-2. And that from the beginning, God created the male and female. And that 2,000, 4,000, however many years later, Paul is going to come along and tell us, that's pointing you to Christ in the church. And that's the goal. And singleness. Further the kingdom. Right? As married people further the kingdom. For the kingdom's cause and the glory of God. Let's pray. Now thank you so much for this day. I know that so many more things needed to be said. Uh, God forgive me where I didn't say those things. Maybe appropriately, but God, I ask that you would help this be an encouragement uh, to the men who will hear this message that they would live their lives loving, cherishing, nourishing their bride for who they are, daughters of the King. God, that as and for the daughters of the King, as they live lives. Submission, that that submission would be such a holy submission. That you would guard them from the sinful effects of the fall. By helping provide them with leaders they can look to that point them to Jesus. And for every leader that has failed in that role, let us look to the love of Jesus. As you sanctify us all through the washing of your word. God, you sanctify us in truth and your word is truth. Cut out the parts of us that that fail to love and to lean into these roles that you've called us to. Help us to trust your plan is good. We love you, we need you, and all these things. The gospel be hailed for the beauty that it possesses, the power of God unto salvation for everyone who will believe. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.